Locked On Boston Bruins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ian McLaren, and this is a daily, well, semi-daily Boston Bruins podcast where we discuss all things spoke to be, as well as take a look around the NHL. I should say it is a daily podcast. Right now, we're doing three podcasts a week while the NHL season is on pause and there's no sports in general, and we all try to get through this COVID-19 health crisis. To keep up with the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast, you can follow the show on Twitter at LO underscore Boston Bruins. Also, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your other podcasts, whether it be Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts. If you subscribe, then new episodes will be automatically added to your feed for you to download and listen. If you could also rate and review on your podcast app, that would be very much appreciated. As I mentioned, my name is Ian McLaren. You can find me on Twitter as well, at Ian C. McLaren. That's I-A-N-C-M-C-L-A-R-E-N. If you want to send me an email, you can email uh, LockedOnBostonBruins at gmail.com or IanCameronMcLaren at gmail.com as well. Today on the show, we're going to talk a bit about Yaroslav Halak re-upping with the Bruins, some actual Boston hockey news, which is great. I'm also going to review uh, D3, the Mighty Ducks, and some news and notes from around the NHL. To begin, let's talk about Yaroslav Halak, who over the weekend signed a one-year contract extension with the Boston Bruins with a cap hit of $2.25 million. He was set to become an unrestricted free agent where, whenever the offseason is going to begin, and he's actually taking a bit of a pay cut as he was making $2.75 million over the past two seasons as a member of the Boston Bruins. We all know by now how valuable Yaroslav Halak has been as a member of the Boston Bruins. He and Tuka Rask make up arguably the best tandem in the league. And his presence has not only helped to, you know, stabilize that position to give Boston some, uh, you know, starting level goaltending night in and night out, but it's also given Tukarask the opportunity to have a lighter workload. As we saw in 2019, that paid off huge as Rask arguably played the best hockey of his career. So as a Boston Bruin, Yaroslav Halak has appeared in 71 regular season games. He's posted a record of uh, 40, 17, and 10. Uh, made 66 starts. Posted a save percentage of 921. Goals against average of 2.36 with 8 shutouts. Now any team would be lucky to have Halak posting those numbers, even as a starting goalie. Over the past two seasons, Halak and Rask rank 6th and 8th in save percentage. Actually, no. Halak is tied with uh, two other players for the 5th best save percentage. Rask is .01 points behind Rask with a record of 53-21-11 with a 9-20 save percentage. Nine shutouts since the beginning of 2018-2019. Halak, as I mentioned, 66-40-7 with a 921 save percentage. The only goalies with 50 or more starts who have better save percentages are Ben Bishop at 927, Darcy Kemper at 926, Anton Kudobin 926, um, Robin Leonard 925, and then we have Andre Vasilevsky who won the Vesna last year at 921, Thomas Grice 921, 
Tuka Rask at 920. So for Boston to be able to have those two guys is obviously a huge luxury. Only Dallas has gotten better goaltending over the last two years between Bishop and Hudobin. Hudobin, we all know as a former Bruins backup goalie as well. And uh, the fact that Halak was willing to re-sign and at a discounted rate is is a huge uh, benefit to the Bruins, especially uh, moving forward and as they try to keep this cup window open as long as possible. Halak said on Saturday after the news was announced that, uh, you know, one of the reasons that he wanted to stay is because the Bruins are such a special group and he wanted to be part of it for as long as possible. He said, we're kind of like a family. It's been a big part of me wanting to come back since I came here and joined the team. It's been a special group. I think I blended with the guys and we had some success. I think everyone knows that we have unfinished business. That, of course, is in reference to the Game 7 loss in the final last year and the first place in the standings up to this point in the 2019-20 season. I hope the season can resume, he added, and we can start off where we finished. I've had a lot of fun the last two seasons. Hopefully the success will continue. Don Sweeney is, uh, you know, to be credited for this signing, which occurred in the summer of 2018, arguably one of the best signings of his tenure as the Bruins' general manager. He credited Halak and agent Alan Walsh for coming together to get a deal completed. He said, I think Yarrow the last couple years has really established himself as a guy that can go in any situation. Rask has had a couple injuries at different times. He also had a personal leave and Halak has been able to step forward. We feel very comfortable. Bruce Cassidy feels very comfortable no matter who is starting every night, road, home, opponent. I think it gives a lot of flexibility. And again, I can't say enough about how much he has been important to this team, giving Rask uh, those nights off, spotting Rask when he was injured or on leave, and helping Rask stay fresh for the postseason. And, you know, if push came to shove, I don't think the Bruins would have too many worries if indeed Halak was called upon to start in the playoff games. Sweeney added, we're fortunate throughout the course of the year. With Halak playing well, the tandem working well, the way Bruce wants to utilize the goalies, and what we've set out to do over the last few years, it's really been beneficial for both goaltenders and our organization and team. Tuke has proven to be one of the best goalies in the league, Halak said. He competes every game, every practice. He wants to win. He wants to play. Um, I also want to play, but at the same time, we're a team, and we want to win as a team. That was one thing that... Kind of gave me pause as to whether Halak would come back, whether he'd want to test the open market, see if a team would want to make him their starter, give him starter money. Uh, you think of Sergei Bobrovsky, who Halak has outplayed, getting $10 million. I don't think he would have got that much, but you know it's clear he could have gotten more on the open market. Um, but both guys seem to get along well together. Both see the value of having a counterpart, who is equal in skill and able to benefit the team and everybody wants this team to succeed. Uh, the Bruins are in a great spot in terms of goaltending, not only for the present, but also for the future. We've talked about uh, Jeremy Swayman, uh, Dan Vlader, who's coming up in the system, Kyle Kieser. Um, so these are guys who might be able to step in if and when Rask retires. Well, obviously he will retire at some point when Halak moves on. But for now, 
this position for the Bruins is as solid as can be. And uh, it was great to see that bit of hockey news come out amid uh, just, you know, the bummer that it is not to have hockey these days. We know that Halak at least will be coming in hot with Rask whenever hockey resumes and for the uh, balance of next season as well. Now, before we move on to my review of D3, the Mighty Ducks, I want to talk to you for a minute about Built Bar. I recently received a box of Built Bars in the mail, and I can't tell you how blown away I was by not only the taste of these bars, but also the health benefits. It's a protein bar, but it really tastes like a candy bar. It comes in 16 amazing flavors, 8 chocolate nut flavors, 8 chocolate nut-free flavors, They're covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew, and quite frankly, it doesn't feel at all like you're eating a uh, something that's healthy. It feels like uh, kind of a guilty pleasure snack. But the fact is, these built bars are incredibly healthy for you. Uh, You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and really a great snack right now to have delivered to your home during this period of social distancing and not feel guilty about, uh, you know, working from home, having a built bar, you'll feel better than kind of the average snacks that you might want to consume right now. If you go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on, you'll get $10 off your first order. Again, that's promo code locked on for $10 off your first Built Bar Box. And again, I can't tell you enough about how delicious these are, how healthy they are for you, and how much I have uh, really benefited from snacking on these Built Bars while I'm at home working during this period of social distancing. And uh, I just feel really good after I'm able to uh, consume one of these. So check them out. Locked on. Promo code at BuiltBar.com. Get $10 off your first box. You will not regret it. Over the last couple of weeks, I've watched and reviewed both the Mighty Ducks and D2, the Mighty Ducks. Today, naturally, we're going to look at D3, the Mighty Ducks. This movie was released in 1996, two years after D2, four years after D1, or the Mighty Ducks. It kind of bombed at the box office. It debuted at number four, ended up grossing only $22 million almost 23 million, I guess the lowest grossing film of the trilogy. It also has the lowest rating on rotten tomatoes at 20%. This movie is not great. I'll say that off the top. Let me start with looking at the plot and then we'll get into some notes that I had written down. So as you remember from D2, the ducks won the junior goodwill games that were held in Los Angeles, California, and they are awarded Junior Varsity Scholarships to Eden Hall, which is a prestigious prep school that Coach Gordon Bombay attended. Bombay announces he's leaving the team to take a job with the Junior Goodwill Games. He's going to be the Director of Player Personnel, which doesn't really sound like a thing. There's no Director of Player Personnel for a major junior international tournament. There's one for individual teams, but not the tournament itself. Uh, The Ducks are... Not happy with this, and Jesse Hall, Dean Portman are announced to be not attending. Uh, as a result, Charlie Conway, played by Joshua Jackson, he's uh, initially despondent about it, but he decides to go as well. The position is filled by former 
fictional Minnesota North Stars player Ted O'Ryan. The Ducks clash with O'Ryan right away. He has a more heavy-handed approach to uh, coaching and decision-making. He starts Julie Gaffney in net over Goldberg after Julie's superior play in tryouts. I don't know why anyone would be upset about that. Julie is far and away a better goalie than Goldberg. Uh, He tries to instill a more defensive-minded approach. Kind of goes with the late 90s trap game that NHL was going with. Overscoring and, you know, hijinks that the Ducks were into earlier. He also strips Charlie Conway of the Captain C, declaring the team's past strategies as ineffective, despite the fact they beat the Hawks and Iceland in previous movies. He's proven right in their first game when the Ducks, who are cocky, Dominant early on. They're winning 9 nothing after 40 minutes. They somehow blow that 9-goal lead and end up tying the game. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, a 9-goal blown lead. We know we talk about 4-1 a lot on this podcast. That's nothing compared to what the Ducks did in this one, even though they ended up not actually losing, but you know, tying. But, uh, you know, 9 goals in one period. Insane. First of all, before that game, there was a scene where the Ducks were introduced at Eden Hall and Charlie and Goldberg and a few other Ducks arrive in the auditorium on rollerblades. There's this very long chase scene between Charlie and Goldberg, and there is 100% no way that Goldberg was able to stay on his feet for that long. So suspended belief in that scene is required for sure. Now, Charlie at one point meets this student named Linda. She's petitioning to change the school's team name, the Warriors, as it perpetuates offensive Native American stereotype. Um, And Charlie at that point is like, what's wrong with the Warriors? You know, you've got the Braves, the Indians, the Redskins, the Blackhawks. He's not really proving his point too well there. And uh, good on Linda for taking initiative back in 1996 to petition that team name. Um, At one point, there is a scene where Luis Mendoza is crawling under the table where the cheerleaders are sitting, looking up their skirts and gives a nod to the camera. What the hell is going on there? That is... Unbelievable. I couldn't believe when that scene popped up. And thankfully, uh, my sons who were watching with me didn't really notice what was going on. They were kind of distracted by Minecraft. But what the hell? That is so bad, Disney. Uh, Anyways, back to the plot. So the team, the Ducks, they face disdain from some Eden Hall students and parents, particularly the varsity hockey team. Uh, Adam Banks is able to make the jump right to varsity. Uh, So there's some angst there between him and the Ducks. The two teams escalate in a prank war. Uh, That involves, um, first of all, one of the Eden Hall veterans or the varsity team. They're stealing lunches. The boys or the Ducks kind of uh, hearkening back to the D1 days. They fill a bag with poop. And uh, one of the guys opens it and is not impressed with that. Then the varsity team says they're taking the Ducks out for a team dinner and leave the Ducks with the 
$900 bill that they have to work off with uh, dish washing and toilet cleaning. And then the Ducks take some red fire ants and funnel them into the varsity team's uh, dorm rooms, which is actually uh, pretty clever. Um, so now, yeah, there's this escalating prank war, and then there's an unofficial match of the school teams, uh, kind of a morning skate where the Ducks are very badly beaten. Charlie Conway takes out Adam Banks in that game, which was, uh, you know, a very illegal move. Coach O'Ryan arrives on the scene, forbids the old Ducks and names uniforms, and says the Ducks are dead. Charlie's fed up. He leaves the team with Fulton Reed. They go off and have a day skipping school at an amusement park, as I mentioned earlier. That's where Steve Brill appears. Uh, He goes and vents to Hans, his and Gordon's mentor, who was not in D2 for some reason, but is back. And he's further upset when Hans appears to take Orion's side. He says, Hans, that is, says, you know, to to look at uh, the coach's perspective, to kind of walk a mile in his shoes kind of thing. Charlie ignores that advice, and later on, Hans passes away. And it's a scene where Charlie Bombay, Charlie Bombay, Gordon Bombay, returns for the memorial and takes Charlie back to Eden Hall. He explains that Orion was indeed a great player back in the day, but he left hockey to care for his daughter after a car accident left her in a wheelchair. He also reveals his own circumstances that led to coaching the Ducks, which was, uh, you know, that DUI, community service, changed his life for the better. And he told Orion that Charlie was the heart and soul of the team, hoping they would learn from each other. And Charlie then agrees to rejoin the team. So the Ducks are traveling to their next game. Charlie arrives, makes amends with Coach, and who is surprised by his sincerity, he welcomes him back. Fulton Reed has also rejoined. He had said that he had lost his passion for hockey, no longer wanted to play, but he's back. And Adam Banks has left the varsity team to rejoin the Ducks. At this point, Dean Buckley informs the team that the Board of Trustees is going to vote to revoke the Ducks scholarships due to the unpopularity of their admission and their mediocre performance on the ice, highlighted, of course, by that blown nine-goal lead. The Dean offers Orion a chance to start a new team, but Orion refuses, saying it's either uh, keep the Ducks or I'm going to quit, and uh, the Dean kind of says, okay, see you later. But at a trustees meeting, no one listens to the Ducks until Bombay arrives, and he puts on his lawyer hat, threatens to tie the matter up in court until long after the Ducks have gone on to college. Faced with a no-win situation, as Bombay threatens to sue Eden Hall, the board reluctantly votes to reinstate the Ducks, and the varsity team is particularly angry about this. The JV Ducks and the Varsity Warriors agree that if Varsity beats the JV team in the upcoming exhibition game, the Ducks will leave the school, but if the Ducks win... The official team name will be changed to the Mighty Ducks. So very high stakes here. Orion and the Ducks train hard. They focus on defense around the net. And Orion returns the Ducks jerseys just before the game, feeling they have finally earned them. Uh, Orion had a pretty good speech earlier on in the movie. He says, listen, if you learn nothing else when you're here, you learn this. It's not just about hockey. It's easy to be confident when you have control of the puck. It's very, very difficult to keep that confidence when you got to take whatever strange bounces life throws your way. Don't be careless. 
But don't be too careful either. You cannot be afraid to lose. That's how you gain the confidence to attack the game when the puck isn't yours. That's how you attack life even when you think you don't have any control. That's how you play real defense. I believe that someone like Patrice Bergeron would be a very Orion player. Now, the game begins. Varsity team is just racking up the courses, dominating on offense. But the Ducks' newly acquired defensive skills keep the game scoreless. Uh, Goldberg, oh, I have something to say about him in a moment. But Goldberg is turned into a fenceman. And like Dustin Bufflin, he's just throwing the body, blocking shots all over the place. The varsity team is playing pretty dirty, checking every player they can, leaving the Ducks battered by the third period. At the second intermission, Dean Portman, the uh, second Bash brother, he has signed the school scholarship, returns for the third period, giving the team a much-needed spark. Uh, unfortunately, he and uh, another, oh yeah, he gets a penalty late in the game. The Ducks get called for too many men, so they have to kill a 5-on-3, lengthy 5-on-3, towards the end of the game. Not only are they able to kill that penalty, but after Orion gives Charlie the Captain C mid-game, not mid-game, late in the game, uh, Charlie is uh, reinvigorated, inspired. He gets a a, a 3-on-5 breakaway, no less. In a surprise move, he passes the puck back to Goldberg, who is initially stunned but gets the shot off with 0.3 seconds left on the clock, giving the Ducks a 1-0 victory. Let me state that again. They've been dominated all game. They have a uh, 5-on-3 situation to kill with about 2 minutes left. Not only do they kill the penalty, but they also somehow manage to get a breakaway and Goldberg scores the game-winning goal. Charlie embraces his coach in celebration. They watch as the Warriors emblem is replaced by a banner with the Ducks logo. They're now the Eden Hall Mighty Ducks instead of the Eden Hall Warriors. Linda, who was petitioning, as I mentioned, against that name earlier in the movie, she gives Charlie a big smooch. Bombay leaves the arena with a smile, knowing that his boy Charlie has matured and the movie ends with a flashback from the first film where Charlie and Gordon give each other a high five after winning the championship game against the Hawks and that is the end of the Ducks trilogy now I've mentioned a couple issues that I've already had with this movie uh, namely Bombay being the player personnel director for the entire Goodwill Games Um, Mendoza crawling under the table the oh yeah, there's another thing. Throughout the movie, there's like these cartoon sound effects that pop up when they're skating or shooting or bumping into each other. Uh, very cheesy and unnecessary. That was a big issue I had with this movie. But one of the big things I had with this movie is Goldberg and Julie's relationship. As I mentioned, Coach Orion wisely makes the decision to replace Goldberg with Gaffney as Julie the Cat is far superior. And at first, he's very resistant to the idea. And as an attempt to sabotage Julie, he feeds her sugary, heavy carbohydrate snacks to slow her down during practice and basically try to 
make her overweight so she is out of shape and unable to start. What a dick move is that? Uh, Not only is he resorting to very juvenile tactics, but he's also, you know, potentially feeding into body image issues, uh, eating disorder issues. Who knows what harm that could have on Julie the Cat Gaffney, who does not deserve to be treated that way, much less by a clown like Goldberg. Um, Thankfully, he relents and Julie steps up as a starter and she's, you know, much better uh, in the end than Goldberg. There are some cameos in this movie, like the other two, most notably Paul Correa, who at the time was captain of the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, so a little cross-promotion there. Uh, when the film was released, uh, he comes and makes an appearance in the second intermission of the Ducks Varsity Warriors game. Paul Correa is one of my favorite non-Bruins of all time, and he of course, was a former Maine Black Bear. And I know this would be unacceptable in this day and age, but when he was knocked out of the Stanley Cup final in, I want to say, 2003 against the New Jersey Devils by Scott Stevens, clearly concussed, but then he came back to the game and scored a goal. That was uh, so good and one of my favorite moments in hockey history. Now, obviously... If that were to happen today, there'd be a huge uproar over him returning to that game because he was clearly knocked out and concussed. But back in the day, I thought that was pretty badass. As I mentioned, this movie was not very critically uh, acclaimed. Only 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. Josh Anderson of the LA Times called it a self-reverential salute to the Ducks, while also saying that the film was lazier than its predecessors. Stephen Hedgepeth of the New Work Star-Ledger wrote, Somebody put this stupid Disney franchise in deep freeze. And Roger Ebert wrote, D3 The Mighty Ducks is a truly dreadful film, a lifeless, massive, childish exercise in failed comedy. Gene Siskel, who of course was his partner back in the day, Siskel and Ebert, said, Dull, stupid, brainless, and dim-witted. So... Not a very uh, popular movie, and I can't uh, say that I disagree very much. Uh, You know, there were some very egregious moments, most notably Mendoza under the table, Goldberg um, feeding Julie all these uh, treats to sabotage her as the starter. And... um, Yeah, just the various gimmicks that were used, kind of reverting back to some stupid duck tricks like the flying, well, I guess that's not stupid, but the rodeo thing, the sound effects. Uh, Yeah, very uninspired movie that did not hold my kids' attention, and uh, I don't really recommend. So I'd say overall, the first one was pretty good. Second, not great. Third, just pretty dreadful overall. And uh, I think 20% is pretty generous on Rotten Tomatoes, to be quite honest. Let's wrap up now with some news and notes from around the NHL. Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet is reporting that this will be a big week for the NHL. There's a Board of Governors conference call scheduled for Monday, May 4th, which is today, uh, to discuss the 2020 draft next month, which will perhaps be held on June 5th and 6th. This, of course, 
raises some issues as the draft is typically held after the regular season and the playoffs. And there's, uh, you know, a draft lottery, there's playoff seeding implications or playoff success implications, really, where, you know, teams 30 and 31 get the the two last picks and, and so on. Um, so there's a lot of things to work out with that respect. Um, Chris Johnson of Sportsnet, he posted an article this morning kind of talking about how the conditional picks that were traded prior to the draft could be worked out. There's some sort of uh, meeting process going on where teams are trying to work out the details of those conditional picks without the conditions actually being met. So for instance, uh, the Senators traded Jean-Gabriel Pajot to the New York Islanders in exchange for the Islanders 2020 first round pick. This draft pick is top three lottery protected. Should the Islanders 2020 first become a top three pick, Ottawa will receive the Islanders 2021 first round pick. So that was the condition. So the Islanders shall also transfer the 2020 second round pick and a conditional third round pick in the 2022 draft. Ottawa will receive the 2022 third rounder if the Islanders win the 2020 Stanley Cup. Now, since the Islanders are ineligible to win a lottery pick under the NHL's proposed rules for this draft, they can transfer the 21st overall selection to Ottawa. If that sounds confusing, it's because it is, and there's a lot of trades like this that will have to be worked out and amended. So uh, if the NHL is adamant about a June 5th, 6th draft, uh, they kind of want to get the ratings, I guess, seeing at the success of the WNBA draft, the uh, NWHL draft, the NFL draft. They want to kind of capitalize on that. So lots to be worked out. Uh, in that respect, and some teams might protest based on the amended lottery proposal and things like that, but uh, we'll see what happens when they meet on this call here on Monday. Uh, Freeman also said the league will review bids on Tuesday for potential hub cities to host games should the season resume this summer. Carolina, Columbus, Dallas, Edmonton, Minnesota, Pittsburgh, Toronto, and Vegas are believed to be among those expressing interest in hosting. The league must also address concerns raised by players regarding potentially lengthy separations from their families. That's something that I talked on the podcast last week, and um, Tori Krug of the Bruins raised that concern as well. Now, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, he has raised another potential hurdle for the NHL. Uh, on Sunday, he said that players, at a minimum, would need to follow quarantine protocols if they were to arrive in Canada while the border remains closed due to the pandemic. Um, so, you know, that means players coming back from Europe or if there's American players coming up to, say, Toronto, if that's one of the hubs, they'll have to do that quarantine period. Uh, Trudeau said it's a question we'll have to look into certainly at a strict minimum anyone who arrives from another country will have to follow all the rules of quarantine in an extremely strict manner but we're not there yet in our discussions with the NHL we recognize that it's a possibility but it depends on an enormous amount of things and I don't want to speculate on this 
until there's more discussions. So it seems as though the NHL might be a bit further ahead in their plans than, uh, you know, the governments who will be uh, kind of overseeing these things. One final note from, uh, this is from the Toronto Sun, Ryan Wolstat. He wrote a column saying the Clippers, the Lakers, the Bucks, Bucks, Dodgers, and Bruins, that would be the Milwaukee Bucks and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, would be most hurt by season shutdowns. Of the Bruins, he writes, the NHL leader in points, even with a 0-7 shootout record, wins, goal differential, and fewest goals against are absolute juggernauts. The Bruins have one of the best lines in hockey, one of the best goalies and defensive cores, and importantly, are battle-tested. They'd be Stanley Cup favorites, and for good reason. Losing the Cup final in seven games was bad enough. Not getting the chance to bounce back with the squad to do it? Now that's just cruel. Plus much of the veteran core that complements the young studs so well is nearing the end of its prime, or out of it entirely. We're looking at you, Zdeno Chara. Um, the first part I agree with. The second part, much of the veteran core is nearing the end of its prime. I wouldn't say that um, of anybody really other than Chara. I'd say Krejci, Bergeron, Marchand, uh, Rask, still well within their primes, playing as good as ever. So um, we saw with the re-signing of Yaroslav Halak, the Bruins believe they can win this season and certainly next as well. Um, so yes, they would be negatively affected by not playing this season because of how well they have been playing, uh, but I don't think it spells doomsday uh, for the core by any stretch of the imagination. Anyways, that's it for today's episode of the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast. I'm your host, Ian McLaren. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. I hope you enjoyed the review of D3. I hope you enjoyed news of Yaroslav Halak, as I did. And I would encourage you again to check out BuiltBar.com, where you can put together a box of Built Bars and get your first box at $10 off by using the uh, promo code LOCKEDON. I'd also encourage you to take a look or a listen at the Locked On NHL podcast, which is also always full of some entertaining hockey talk. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday with another episode of the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast. Until then, take care of yourselves, stay safe, and yeah, thanks again so much for listening. We'll talk to you later. Peace.